0: What's up, church? How are you guys doing today? As Pastor Tim said, my name is Joey. I'm the student ministry director here. I'm very excited to be here with you guys today. As we go through a standalone series just today, talking about what we do in our day-to-day lives. And I want to give credit where credit is due, right? My wife is a librarian. She is called the copyright queen. So I have to give credit. I don't want to plagiarize. but I've been reading a book called "Finding the Right Hills to Die On." It's an amazing book that really focuses in on what is essential in our day-to-day conversations. It's by Gavin Ortland. You can find it at Bridge Ministries. It's an amazing book. I, like I said, I've been reading that for the last week. And then a few weeks back, we went to a conference, and Blake Holmes, pastor at uh, Watermark Church in Dallas, where we went to this conference at, had a similar talk. And so those two, plus my life experiences. Give you what we're talking about today. Speaking of my beautiful wife, this coming weekend we celebrate 10 years of being married. And the sad part is, is in those 10 years, and believe me, it was harder for her than it was for me, I can tell you that. But in those 10 years she hasn't learned. Because she still takes me places. And I still embarrass her. I'm big. I'm loud. And it's not supposed to be that funny. <laughs> and worst of all, I am very, very opinionated. Yep. And wh- <laughs> and with all of that being said, right, I tend to get into heated discussions. Before COVID hit, we have a group of friends that we used to get together with to Three times a week. Our kids were the same age. We're the same age. We're all in ministry together doing all kinds of stuff for God, which is awesome. But every time we would pull into our friend's house, we would park in the driveway. I would pull up the, driving or the parking brake. And my wife would just like in defeat already have her eyes closed and be like, Joey, please. Please don't bring up theology. Please don't bring up politics. And so, of course, being the good husband I am, I oblige and say, yes, honey, I won't talk about that. I promise I won't talk about that. Five minutes later, I was talking about that. And again, these are brothers in Christ that I was having these discussions with. And so we would go to the backyard. The fire would be raging. We would be burning meat, as we usually do, because that's we're in Laredo, right? And over the carne asada, we would start talking about these things. And these conversations would go from very civil, and they would get a little bit louder, and a little bit deeper, and a little bit louder, and then a little bit louder. And by the end of the night, we were all in kind of a bad mood. Because we had argued for four hours. No one's mind was changed. And then we all went home waiting to do this again in like two more days. And again, the stuff that we were talking about isn't what I would call an essential. We weren't talking about the gospel. We were talking about like secondary and tertiary and whatever fourth level issues you want to talk about it within the church. But those things are the things that churches actually split over. Not the essential, not faith alone in Christ alone, but the secondary stuff like the color of the curtains and all the other things that don't really matter. And in these discussions, again, it would get to a point where it would just get so heated. And these are with other brothers. It got to the point where my wife just said, like, look, you can't handle it. You're just not going to go. I was like a little kid being put in timeout. (laughs) But she has a point. Because if other unbelievers were there watching these discussions, what would they think about us as Christians? arguing, bickering, back and forth over stuff that's not really essential. We're not united in the gospel. And then it got my brain rolling as I was prepping for this. I was like, okay, so yes, I totally did that with brothers, but have I ever done this, like, with unbelievers? And I absolutely have, because there's this little magical thing you keep in your pocket called a cell phone, and you can access conversations with everybody through these things called, like, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and you have these conversations play out in front of a ton of people, believers and unbelievers alike, on your friends list. And I'm guilty of that too. And the more that I thought about it, the more that I realized I was putting something that was completely unessential in a place that got in the way of me sharing the gospel. Case in point. I scrolled down my Facebook feed the other day. Some of you in here that are on my friends list, y'all, I just kind of saw you perk up like, oh, snap. (laughs) This is what I saw. People were arguing about sports teams, which team is better, which team I should support. Is LeBron James better than Michael Jordan, which we know that's a foolish conversation because he's not. (laughs) We argue about politics. Are you riding with Biden or are you on the Trump train? Gas prices are getting out of hand, what is he doing in this other country? What is he saying? We argue about COVID, is COVID real or is it a scam? Masks or no masks? Do we wear them? Should they work? Should we wear them? Do they work? Have you seen Fauci's emails? What's Governor Abbott doing? Is he trying to kill Texans? Vaccine or no vaccine? Does it work? Is it safe? Why aren't people looking at the science? And ultimately, every conversation ends with the other people are idiots. Because if we're honest, anytime we approach a conversation, there's the side that we're on and the side that's wrong. And those other people just happen to be wrong. And we approach these conversations out of pride and arrogance, wanting to be right more than wanting to grow the kingdom. We take our opinions and we elevate them into essentials. And we lose out on an opportunity to share the one thing that should matter more to believers than anything else. And that's the gospel. Think about it. Do more people know where you stand politically than where you stand eternally? Do more people know your position on masks than your stance on the gospel? If you can't answer that question, then I ask you to go back. Open up your profiles, not now. And scroll through and see what you post about. Or better yet, think about the conversations that you have on a day-to-day basis at work or with friends. In front of other people. Are they focusing on the gospel and growing the kingdom or on foolish things? And that's not me calling it foolish. That's coming straight from scripture. We're going to dive in to Paul's final letter, 2 Timothy. And we're going to see what he tells Timothy there. Timothy was pastoring a church and he's exhorting him, telling him, hey, man, this is what you got to do. This is how you got to do it. And in 2 Timothy 2, verses 22 and and on, he gives Timothy these instructions. If you have your Bible with me, jump in. We're going to be spending most of our time in that passage, 22 through 27, I believe. Verse 22 says this. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Pursue faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Right here, he's already calling us out. He's already telling you, if you're too busy focusing on other things that breed arguments and quarrels and problems, you're not living a life of peace. If you're too busy trying to correct people on things that aren't important, You're not living a life of love. Are you being righteous? No. And you're definitely not sharing your faith. Right off the bat, he's saying these are the things that we have to pursue. And we have to keep each other accountable as we do it. Because it says to do it with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, here's where he really gets to the point. Verse 23, he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. That word foolish in Greek is moros. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what English word we draw from that. It's moron. And the conversations that we get into, most of the time, if we think about the significance that they carry, it's pretty foolish. They're ignorant because they have nothing to do with the bigger picture. All they do is bring about fights, bring about arguments. And this isn't something that Paul just mentions once. He's talking to Timothy here, but he's mentioned this already several times before. 1 Timothy 4.7 says this. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas or old wives' tales. Godless ideas or old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Focus on the things that are godly. Not godless, Godly. 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 16. This is just a few verses before what we just read. Remind them. He's telling Timothy to remind his church. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Don't get into arguments. Don't talk about silly things. Because it does no good. But only ruins the hearer. It ruins the person who's listening to you. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Because you have rightfully handled the truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. These fights will have people harden their hearts towards God. Finally, in Ephesians 4, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, for only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, I know some of you are sitting there going, wait a minute, hold up, did Paul just call me a moron for arguing about politics? Yes, he did. He says, don't engage in these godless ideas, don't engage in these foolish controversies because all you're going to do is stir up anger. All you're going to do is have people shut their ears off when you have to get to the eternal important stuff, which is the gospel. Does it have eternal impact? No, then it's not important. What does it do? Ruin the hearer. And I can already hear it because I heard this plenty of times. Long story short, after the election, I realized I was wrong because I did this. I'm guilty of it, church. And I went and I posted something from the heart where I said, look, man, I, I, I ask for your apologies. Or I apologize and I ask for your forgiveness for putting something over what I should be doing. And I had people reach out to me saying, man, what are you doing? These people are going to run their agenda down your throats. You're going to have to do this. They're going to try to persecute us. And? See, here's my thought. Here's my... From scripture. The very next verse, we see it. It says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. We've already talked about that. But be kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Does it say trying to stop evil? That's God's job. Patiently enduring evil. What are we supposed to do? Be kind to everyone. Who is everyone? The people who look like you, the people who voted like you, the people who didn't vote like you, the people who don't look like you, people with different ideas, different opinions, doesn't matter. Everyone means everyone, and we have to be able to be kind to everyone. Because everybody needs to hear the truth of the gospel. We have to be able to teach. Teach what? God's truth. And we have to handle it rightly so that we are not ashamed. We just read that. Finally, we have to patiently endure evil. So we have to do all of this in the face of an evil generation that hates us. I have a news flash for you, church. The Bible promises persecution. In 2 Timothy, the same book that we're in, Paul says that those who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's a promise. So, we as believers have to be faithful to the point where persecution's gonna come. And we have to be okay with that because what that says is that we're trusting God in our circumstances. We're not trying to change our circumstances because God has us there for a purpose and for a reason. And we're called to speak the truth in love while we endure evil patiently, speaking the truth to everyone. My point for you guys today is this share the gospel, not your opinion. Share the gospel, not your opinion. Because ultimately, there's one thing that matters, there's one thing that has eternal significance. There's one thing that will actually change somebody's life. And if we're honest, there's a lot of things that offend people nowadays. And when we talk about the gospel, the gospel is incredibly offensive. See, the gospel is all about bringing you to the knowledge of your sin. The gospel is all about us realizing how broken we are. And that means we have to look at ourselves and address things that we don't want to. And what's our natural reaction? We get angry and we get upset. But there's a saying, and I was a teacher for a very long time before I stepped in here at Grace. There's a saying that says kids don't care what you know until they know that you care. And if we as Christians aren't living lives to build those relationships where we can meaningfully share the gospel then we're missing the point. Jesus says to love our neighbor as ourselves. And to do that, we have to build these relationships. And the gospel will then be able to be shared and be shared meaningfully. Because ultimately that's of utmost importance. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4. He says this, for I delivered to you of first importance. What I have also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He died in our place. He was the substitutionary sacrifice. He lived the perfect life to die on the cross in our place and take on our punishment for sin. Then he was buried. And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul is saying the first, foremost, only thing that matters in the life of a Christian is the gospel, is growing the kingdom. And that's what he did. He lived that out perfectly. And so as we think about our lives, as we think about the conversations that we have, as we think about the arguments that we get into, the quarrels that, be, that are bred from our other discussions, we have to think about what is important. See, if it's, Dealing with the gospel, that's something that we have to fight for because that's God's truth. That's where we can engage in these discussions. Everything else we show grace. Greg Strand, who is the director of theology for the EFCA, the denomination of churches that we are a part of says, we need to major on the major and minor on the minors. We can't stress out about the small stuff because ultimately the gospel is important. So does it have to do with Christ living a perfect life, dying a death in our place? If not, don't worry about it. Does it have to do with him being raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures? If it doesn't, don't stress about it. Show grace. Because if it doesn't have to do with grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, then we can let it go. Because that should be what's most important. And if we get into these fights... If we get into these arguments, it has consequences. And we have to see that. We see it in 2 Timothy 2.14. We read through it earlier. Remind them. Don't quarrel about words. Don't argue. Why? Because it ruins the hearers. If the gospel is of utmost importance and people are shutting their ears before we can even get there, then we've missed the point. I think about that a lot because I have... Well, my sister has a really close friend. And we basically lived at their house. My mom was working four jobs to put food on the table, like, just for me. So she was working, and we were there all the time. And it was to the point where they were really close family friends. My sister and the, the, their daughter were BFFs, right? And me and Steven, their son, also really good friends. And needless to say, again, politics... Right During one of the debates, one of the, one of the candidates said something and I was like, man, he dropped the mic. That was heavy, that was awesome. And of course, I find it, I post it, it was a meme, it was a thing. I went seven days arguing that post with this person, with my sister's best friend. Going back and forth, and these weren't like those discussions where it's like a three-word answer and you hit send. No, I had to like sit down, type this thing up, like I looked at it, I edited it, p- deleted stuff, and then I hit send on this paragraph. And then what did she do? The very same thing. Back and forth. What would happen now if I were to go try to share the gospel? What would happen now if she needed something? She wouldn't come to me. Why? Why? Because in my pride, in my arrogance, in my focus on things that were foolish and ignorant, I ruined the hearer. And this isn't something I did like years ago. This was in January. And it was that conversation that really changed my heart. I went into scripture. I looked at it. I was convicted. And I'm not going to lie at church. I had to repent. And that was hard. Because I had to acknowledge the wrong that I had done. But Paul tells us all of these things. He walks us through all of this because he knows that there's a purpose. God has given him this to share with Timothy because at the end of the day, there's a reason God needs us to be faithful. And he walks through that in the last two verses we're looking at today. He says this in 2 Timothy 2, verses 25 and 26. This is a follow-up on what we had just read. So correct your opponents with gentleness. When it comes to the gospel, correct correct them with the truth, and correct them with the truth in love, in gentleness. And God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses, escaping from the snare of the devil, After being captured by them to do his will. I want you to look at the order of that. I want you to focus on the call that we have received through these words. Don't fight. Don't quarrel. Don't bicker. Don't argue. Why? Because if we're faithful and we correct with gentleness, God works in that faithfulness. In that obedience to him. God may perhaps grant them repentance. God will work on their hearts through the sharing of the gospel. See, the gospel is what brings about the heart change that we're trying to seek after when we go and we correct and we share facts and we argue and we bicker. See, ultimately what we're trying to do is change someone's hearts. But if we think about those conversations that we're having, we're putting all of the weight on ourselves and all of the weight on what we do, and we're not letting God work. We try to do it. But it says here that God may perhaps grant them repentance. And because they have repented, because they have accepted the gospel, because they have received the truth, they come to their senses. See, there's an order there. The gospel is what changes hearts and minds. Once that happens, people snap to it and they realize that they were wrong. And then they are released from the snare of the devil. See, our pride blinds us. And we so desperately seek to be right as opposed to seeking to serve God. And then we've gained a brother or sister in Christ. We've grown God's kingdom because we were obedient and we trusted him no matter the situation No matter the circumstance, no matter the topic that we want to argue about. But we get to share his truth and grow his kingdom. And if we're honest, church, that's just what Christ did. He came, he corrected, and people hated him so much. He did it with love. He did it perfectly. And yet, even after sharing his truth and growing God's kingdom, he was still persecuted To the point of death. And I'm going to be real with you, church. There's going to be sometimes that people don't like what we say, and we have to be okay with that. Because, like I said, the gospel is offensive enough. But by being obedient to God, God will show us his faithfulness, and he will work through that. And it's amazing when we get to step back. And we get to lay down our pride and actually see God working. We saw it today. Three baptisms, that's amazing. Coming through a season where we have been more divided than we ever have. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters if we are united in the gospel, working to grow we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Lord, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy because we know, Lord, that so often in our brokenness, God, that we mess things up. But we thank you, Father, that your truth calls us to be better we thank you father that your truth guides us and directs our steps Lord we thank you father that you convict us every single time we fall short and Lord my prayer is that you work in our hearts so that this service this truth is not something that we receive for this hour and then we go back and live the way that we did before Lord but that you continue to shape us and change us and make us more like your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you once again for the perfect life of your son, for his substitutionary death on a cross. And God, that you have given us the grace to come to you through him. Father, we love you. We worship you and praise you. And it's in your son's most precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Love you, church.